wonderful to welcome everyone here tonight. Here's a quote to start us off that uh, may seem applicable. In the midst of difficulty lies opportunity. And that was Albert Einstein. And I used to think about that when I was taking those chemistry exams. And I'd always be like, there's an opportunity hiding in here somewhere. <laughs> I think it was an opportunity to learn more math, as it turned out. But that was a good opportunity. So let's get it over to Dr. John and the Technology Spotlight. We used to just look at our screens. Now we touch our screens. Maybe someday we'll lick our screens. Oh, it sounds kind of, kind of different, but uh, hear me out, okay? Yeah, some, some researchers in a university in Japan have been working on a taste display, not a touch display, a taste display. And the way this works is you put it on your tongue and they can make you taste whatever they want to make you taste. They can uh, change the flavors. So let's think about how we might be able to do that. If you uh, think about what it would take, uh, a good way to start is by thinking about a visual display. Remember how visual displays really make us see things that aren't really there and kind of trick our brain into thinking that they're there. Well, the way that a visual display works is it has little pixels, and if you zoom way in, they have to have three different colors. They have to have the green and the red and the blue, and they change the brightness of those three colors to make different colors. And so when we see them all together, we see the high-definition screen with all the amazing effects and everything. Well, how would you do that with taste? Turns out that taste has five basic tastes that make up what we actually taste in our mouth. We have the sweet, we have the salty, we have the sour, we have the bitter, and we have the mumami, or savory, as they call it. And I'll bet you recognize most of those, but maybe not the mumami. <laughs> so let's talk about that for a minute. That's actually one of the newer uh, tastes that we recognize and it's pretty subtle and it's kind of mixed in with a lot of other things so we don't notice it but uh, in things like tomatoes you know like the heirloom wonderful perfect tomatoes uh, they have that really complex flavor well part of that is the mumami in there and then things like certain kinds of cheeses and uh, eggs and meats these are things where the mumami is more uh, uh, strong. It's a bigger portion of the flavor. But it's there in a lot of different things. It's really uh, kind of fascinating, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like the missing ingredient that we've had. And so what they had to do was make it so they could put those different tastes on your tongue and control how much. So take a look at this device. This is uh, their thing. Uh, they called it a sushi roll sensor or something like that. Remember, this is from Japan. <laughs> and uh, in this picture, they were simulating the taste of uh, sushi. And so that thing you see around the top is actually a piece of seaweed, <laughs> you know, to kind of get the sushi roll uh, smell. And so those different colors that you see in there, they look like little gummies or something, you know, those are gels with the five different flavors. And so you put this on your tongue, and uh, then you try to figure out what you're tasting. <laughs> and, and they can uh, make the different tastes with this experiment. 
Now, let's take a closer look at those gels. You can see, remember how we talked about the five different flavors? Um, this shows what the different flavors were. You're probably wondering why they're different colors. And that was just so they could keep track of them. I think it's just so it would look yummy, you know? <laughs> if you're gonna put it in your mouth, it might, might as well make it look yummy. So they used these different solutions and they um, mixed them into a gel and then they put them in these little tubes that go inside that uh, thing that the guy was holding. And <clears throat> the way it works is you put it on your tongue and then they run electricity through it. No, this isn't dangerous, just <laughs> a little bit of electricity. And uh, the electricity makes it so it, it uses something called electrophoresis, which moves the liquid, the ion liquid, away from the surface of your tongue when they apply a voltage. So by applying a higher voltage, more current, then it moves it more uh, distant, and so you have a less, less of that flavor. So uh, let me show you in a little circuit diagram. I didn't quite come out as clear as I wanted. So you can see how, uh, remember it was copper, the thing that the guy was holding. And so your hand touches that, and then the little plus and minus down there, that's the battery or the power source. And then they have variable resistors for each flavor that go and connect to your tongue. So they're actually using your tongue and your hand as part of the circuit. So uh, it's conducting through your tongue and through your hand to the device. This picture kind of shows a little bit better how it works. You can see how uh, there's the, the ground that goes through your hand and, and there's the guy's tongue, right? <laughs> and then this little uh, white circle device you see is how you control the flavors. So let's give this guy a little more bitter and <laughs> turn it up and you can adjust the saltier, the bitter, and they use this uh, to successfully, in the same experience, make the sushi taste and then all of a sudden the gummy bear taste <laughs> and just by adjusting what flavors you could sense. Now uh, there are a couple little issues. One of the issues is that it's a little bulky. It's a little big, you know, you look a little funny walking down the street with that on your tongue, right? Uh, so they need to make a version. I think it would be cool if it would fit in your mouth, you know, wireless. It would be like one of those candies you suck on, only you could have a five-course meal in there, you know, <laughs> and tasting all the different things. Uh, <clears throat> another issue is the resolution isn't quite what our visual displays are yet. They only have, you know, the, the five big things. Uh, they need to have smaller, closer together, uh, connections to your tongue because every once in a while they say you can distinguish the different tastes so if they could spread that out that would really help but it's pretty amazing how well it works and uh, this is you know just like when we started with the display it wasn't so great black and white and stuff like that and then got better and better and better so uh, we'll be watching to see what comes maybe someday uh, we'll be able to send flavors over the internet you know because it's really just information now you know the combination of the different flavors. And, uh, you know, maybe like Willy Wonka, you know, the snozberries taste like snozberries, right? <laughs> you make up your own flavor. Uh, but a really big part of flavor and the eating experience is actually uh, the smell and even the story behind it. If you have a really good story, it makes things taste better. And it's kind of fascinating how that is. You might have noticed a lot of times when you go to the really fancy restaurant, they have the lighting just right, and they have the special music and everything to try to make the experience just right because that will affect your perception of the taste. You know how the story goes about how 
this coffee is the very best coffee. It's the kind that the Brazilian growers or grow coffee drink and the, the story on and on and on and on. Well, a lot of times the story has an impact on what you actually think when you try it. You know, and remember, coffee is a really good example of a bitter taste. There's a bitter in there, but when you uh, maybe sweeten it right or whatever, some people really love that, that bitter taste. So all of the tastes are important, aren't they? So I'm thinking maybe someday when you get 100% on your exam, Acellus will award you with a really wonderful virtual taste or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> virtual candy, no calories, right? Uh, who knows? Well, that's all the tech we have the time for. Thank you. <laughs> it makes those chemistry exams all the more motivating, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> all right, now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. So, I have a question to start out, and that is, what do you look like when you get excited? <laughs> this just got awkward. <laughs> what kind, I mean, we all get excited, hopefully, sometimes. So what do we look like? What do you look like? What kind of excited person are you? Are you one of those people where, you just got a new car? <laughs> it's a poker face person, you know? And then there's people who really let it out. They're like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's, that's the, I won the lottery or get off my toe, one of those. <clears throat> but we're talking about a science tonight that helped to light the world through excitement, okay? And you know, we're not talking about coffee, but that could be part, you know, something that helped light the world. But we're talking about this kind of sign. We are open. Not the fact that we're open but the lighting that's involved, okay? We all probably know these kind of lights, but where did they come from and where did they originate from and how did they evolve? So we have to go clear back to the 1600s. And in the 1600s, there was a French astronomer who noticed something very interesting with his barometer. Now remember, barometers are usually those glass tubes with usually mercury inside and you could use it to help determine the pressure of the atmosphere, the atmospheric pressure. Well, he noticed something very interesting. When he shook his barometer, we don't know why he shook it, but when he shook it, walk you crazy barometer. Oh, okay, <laughs> be observant. Um, it gave off a really, really slight glow, really slight glow, this barometer. So this, this thing with mercury in it. And it, it puzzled him and it puzzled a lot of people and that's pretty much what it was. Um, and it wasn't until 200 years later in the 1800s when a German glass blower discovered, as he started making, he, he would make these tubes, I mean, he was a glass blower, he knew how to make a lot of different kinds of glass tubes. He did some tests where he would put gas into these tubes that he would close off and run an electric current through. And some of the different gases that he tried would glow faintly. And this kind of opened up a whole new world of fiddling around with this new magic. And that's pretty much what it was, was, yeah, I mean, it didn't turn into like a, a real product or, you know, an industry. It was this neat thing that people were experimenting with. What is this? Why is it glowing? Well, it wasn't until 1898, and we had two scientists who came up. Well, they, no, they did not come up. They discovered, you don't come up with elements. They discovered a new element, a new gas. And they decided that they were going to name it after the Greek word for new gas, neos. 
so, so original. <laughs> new gas, we're going to name it new gas. Uh, and they named it neon. And this new gas was turned out to be very rare. In fact, in the air, it's about one part to 65,000 in the air. And four years later, uh, another French chemist named Roger Claude, he came up with a new and more efficient way to pull that neon out of the air through liquefying the air and distilling it and doing quite a few things. But he was able to get neon gas, and he tried putting it in a tube, a glass tube, and he ran an electric current through this glass tube. And when he did that, it glowed extremely well. And it was beautiful. It was this reddish orange. Now, what is going on? This heat turned around and started making this a product. Now, of course, if it's in glass and you have a glass blower, you can make these extremely unique shapes of glass that will glow. In fact, people started calling it the liquid fire. And he started selling fancy signs and all kinds of things with this new magical glowing glass or light. So what's going on to make this happen? Well, we have to go meet the neon molecule. So if we look at this, you can see in the middle, you know, we, there's, and the electrons going around the center, okay, the nucleus that they're orbiting around, we have electrons going around. So if we have this neon gas, these molecules in a tube, okay, and we send an electric current through it, we have the electrons, like this, they're, they're moving through the tube, and eventually some of them are going to hit into those electrons that are doing their job of orbiting the nucleus of the neon. So they're, they're just going through their day, and then all of a sudden this passing by electron goes Okay, now some of us, I'm not going to point fingers, some of us would get pretty grouchy if we got hit by this fast-moving electron, okay? But that's not what they do. In fact, the science term for it is excited. <laughs> so they become excited. They don't go, hey! They go, hey! <laughs> okay? They get excited. And when they get excited, something magical happens. They go, whoa! Out like that. And the orbit that they are doing around this nucleus expands. And it's, it's just for a moment. It's not like a whoa. It's more like a whoa! Like that, okay? So you got to be quick if you want to see it. But when they expand through that energy that's happening, when they come back together, that energy's got to go. Okay, and they release it in the form of a photon of light. So all of these neons, these good attitude neon molecules are getting hit, their electrons are, by these passing by electrons, and they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, if you could speak neon, and you put your ear to one of these tubes, you just hear like, whoa, 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 a lot of excitement going on. And but we don't have to because we can see the energy coming out as they go back down to their normal orbit they release the photons. So that's what's happening, is he's sending it through. And so if we go back to that uh, original guy who shook the barometer, the static electricity inside of it was creating this, okay? So they started to do more experiments with this, and they found that with different gases, they could make different colors, because it's how the electrons move and how they expand that different frequencies of light, and of course, different frequencies of light make different light colors, are made. So look at this picture. We've got helium color, neon, argon, krypton, xenon. All of these are gases, and they're releasing different frequencies of light. Well, there's another one, okay? And we, we got to go back to that, that first guy with the barometer because he had mercury. And when they tried doing mercury, well, something different happened. It made a very different light. It made UV light, which can be dangerous. And so 
it's very different than this pretty red or whatever. It's, it's actually dangerous to us. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, it turns out that the, the mercury gas is much more efficient, they found, in making light for the power that's being used. So could we find a way to use this somehow? I mean, we could all just try and get used to UV. Um, that would not be good. But they found a way to do it by using a special kind of phosphorus that they would put inside the glass tube. And this phosphorus acted in that when the UV light would hit it, it would absorb the UV light and put out a different frequency, a frequency that was okay to our skin and our eyes. So when you see a long tube, a fluorescent bulb, that's the most dangerous light. Well, no, maybe not the most dangerous, but it's a dangerous light in there. It's not this you know, sweet little neon. It's this mercury and maybe mixed with some other gases. But before it release, is released out through the glass, it passes through the phosphorus coating that makes it safe. And so that is what we generally see when that's happening. So this would eventually become the main one that's used besides you know, the fancy wear open neon lights that you see. And they have now about 153 different colors that they can do through the mixtures, which is pretty amazing. Now, I have a cool little video clip and I want to show you, this is, you know, those little electric lamp things. I found a little fluorescent bulb, and I held it. So look at this. Here we go. So this is me holding it near this electric light. And watch the excitement going on. So I'm not that powerful, okay? It's not plugged into anything. But just the electricity that's passing through it is making those, those well, in this case, it's the mercury molecules get excited and it creates light so the moral to this story you could say is when your life gets fast-paced and people are bumping into you you can be grouchy or you can be excited okay thank you <laughs>
We talk about them as orbits, but actually we found out they're not even in orbits. That was a misnomer. But they're excited to a higher energy level, and when they decay back to the normal level, which they do right away, they give off a photon of light. And the photon of light they give off is for the specific frequency of that particular element, which is kind of, kind of neat if you think about it. Now, a lot of things have happened from there. Uh, we talk about the neon signs. That's kind of neat. But if you take this neon that he referred to and a little bit of the helium, which he also showed, and you put it, the helium in the neon, then you get a helium neon gas. And the, there's an interesting thing that happens. When the energy comes through and excites the atom, it gets in the excited state, if you put the helium in with the neon, it stays excited longer. And, you know, we're talking about fraction, fractional parts of a second, very slow, I mean very fast, so a slow amount of longer, but it's very significant that they get excited longer because since they stay up longer, you can pump a lot of energy into a tube of gas and you'll get a lot of excited atoms because they stay up longer and then you can have a laser. That's what makes a laser possible because as a photon from any of those molecules comes shooting down the tube, it causes other ones to decay and give off their light right in sync with it. And that's what makes lasers so amazing, makes their light monochromatic, which means just one color, and coherent, which means all the light waves are right in phase, so they can be focused and you can do things like cut metal and do really, really amazing things, which is it's pretty nifty. But I want to talk a little more about this uh, mercury vapor. Mercury is an interesting metal. Uh, it's a metal that if you look at it, it's a liquid at room temperature. Most metals, like this stainless steel lid, are hard at room temperature. But mercury is a liquid at room temperature, which is quite interesting. And if you run a current through a vapor of mercury, then you get ultraviolet light, like you said. And there's different kinds of ultraviolet. There's long wave and there's short wave. Long wave ultraviolet it's not so bad, but that shortwave ultraviolet is real nasty to living cells. Mm -hmm. And why is it nasty to living cells? Tell me. It wasn't raised very properly. <laughs> right? No, uh -huh. actually, it, it has a very, very unique property. Do you remember learning about resonance? Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you have a glass and you have a speaker and you tune the frequency of the speaker to a tone that just happens to be the right frequency for what that glass vibrates at, you can make it vibrate bigger and bigger. And some of you have seen a video of the glass shattering because of resonant frequency. Well, that's really kind of interesting. It's because you got the natural frequency for that glass and you can do neat things with that. Well, whenever you hit resonance, you can convey energy into something and you can shatter it like a piece of glass, but there's something else you can shatter with resonance. And that happens to be that long DNA molecule. Do you remember hearing about in every atom you have a DNA and it's got all the stuff like this DNA makes, say, Joseph Brown. This <laughs> DNA makes someone else and has all of our information. Well, 
shortwave ultraviolet is just the right frequency to make that long ribbony molecule vibrate. And if it vibrates too hard, it breaks it up. And when DNA breaks up, a cell can't reproduce. And when you're talking about living cells, if they can't reproduce, the microbiologists call them dead. Live is they can reproduce, dead is they can't reproduce. And what that means is if you get in the shortwave ultraviolet, it will destroy the DNA in your cells. And it can burn you, it's not a good thing. Well, unless you're trying to get rid of a bacteria, and then shortwave ultraviolet is germicidal. It'll kill bacteria. And long, long ago, I needed a way to kill bacteria inside my hydrogen generator, and so I got into ultraviolet energy. And I made a, a thing with the tube. It had that mercury vapor like Tobias was talking about. But instead of having a coating of glow-in-the-dark fluorescent material, it was just clear so the light could come through. Well, that shortwave ultraviolet, fortunately, and unfortunate for my use, fortunately, it won't go through glass. To shortwave ultraviolet, glass is opaque like a piece of metal. It can't get through. And that's why we can make ultraviolet lamps with, with mercury is because that dangerous light can't get out of the glass. It can't go through it. So instead, it, it hits the, the material that changes the UV into visible light, and that's how we make our fluorescent tubes. So I had to buy a tube that wasn't made out of glass, but it was made out of quartz. And quartz is a special kind of glass that shortwave UV goes right through. And when I used that, I could get the UV out and kill my bacteria, and that was all fine and good. So I saved my hydrogen generators, and we talked about that story not too long ago. But there's a little bit more to it that I think you might find interesting. I was looking at this, and I thought, man, you can kill bacteria with just a little bit of light if you make germicidal UV. What could you do with that? I'll bet you could use that for something. And so, as I started thinking about it, wouldn't it be neat if you could use that shortwave germicidal to kill bacteria on dental instruments? When you go to the dentist, you know, they've got those things and they want to put it in your mouth, and you say, where's it been? And you'd <laughs> like to make sure that it's ready to go. Well, they do have sterilizers. And a sterilizer in a dental office or a surgery room is a a machine that heats up steam, and the steam gets really hot under pressure and kills the bacteria. Well, those little drills, you know, that they use to drill your teeth, they have little turbines in them, and the air goes through it and spins it. And guess what happens if you heat that up in an autoclave? End of life. It ruins them. So they need a way to sterilize those without putting them in a high-temperature autoclave. And I thought, oh, this is the way. So I came up with a student project. A bunch of us got together. We bought a microwave. We tore it apart. We pulled out the microwave tube. Don't need that. Threw it away. And we put these germicidal UV lights inside it. And with the lights we had, we had four across the top. 
it put out about 100 watts of energy. That's like a, just a, a little light bulb you'd put maybe in your bathroom. But if you'd open that, we used a microwave oven because it had a door that wouldn't come on unless it was closed. And we thought that'd be good for safety, okay? So you open it up, and we put all of these dental instruments, the mirror, the drill, everything in there, closed the door, turned it on, and the lights came on, and after just one minute, we pulled it out, and lo and behold, when we tested it, the bacteria was all killed. We thought, this is going to be amazing. So <clears throat> what should we call it? And you know, because know. you saw it. <laughs> it's like that, we so gave it a name. You know, it's kind of like a Reagan, what do you yeah. say? Zapon, no. Zytron. Mm -hmm. Zytron's what we called it. Yep. And we started doing some, some studies to see how effective it was. And we decided we want to see if this is going to be the next big company. It's fun to get a project and, and manufacture it and get going. But before you can sell any kind of a product that has to do with, with medical, you have to get approved by the Food and Drug Administration. So we prepared a big application, told them what we were doing, and uh, their people, their experts, looked at our little project and the tests we'd done, and they said, well, what if the tubes aren't working? And then the dentist will think it's sterilized, but what if it's not sterilized? Someone could get sick. You need to find a way to make sure that it's really working every cycle. So we thought about that. We thought, well, that's easy. There's a little sensor that senses light. And we'll just put one of those sensors inside there, hook it up to our control board, and it will test every time we turn it on to see if there's light. And so we put one in, we turned it on, and it could tell that there was light. Wait, we've got it, so let's do a few more cycles. And after about 10 or 12 cycles, it stopped working. <laughs> Cheap parts, put another one in. And another one, another one. 10 cycles, 12 cycles, it died. And it turned out that the ultraviolet light was ruining the sensor. So we got another brand. We tried all different kinds, and every one we tried, it would always burn out the sensor. And so there we were, our latest invention, ready to go to market. We had dentists that really wanted these because they didn't have anything else that really worked. And we couldn't figure out how to prove that every cycle was efficacious or effective. So what do you think we did? Anybody. <laughs> Mr. Tobias, the neon wall guy. What do you think we did? You ever heard this story? You don't remember this story. This is a fresh one. Well, it's interesting because we knew a little bit about the stuff you talked about tonight. And I remembered learning that ultraviolet light is created inside of just a regular fluorescent light bulb. And as it's coming out of the tube, it hits a powder coating, which is materials that when light hit, hits them, they phosphoresce, or they give off visible light. And so I thought, I wonder if we would put one of those coatings over the top of the sensor, it would block the UV and make visible light, which the sensor would see really good. 
So we went down and got a bottle of paint, a fluorescent light, the kind that glows in a black light, painted on the sensor, let it dry, stuck it in there, and thousands of cycles will work just fine because the UV wasn't getting to the sensor. And we were able to go ahead and make a product. And we sold a whole slug of those. They're pretty neat. Zytrons. They are neat. Everybody should have one, they shouldn't should. they? They should. They work okay, really well. Okay, but did you hear what was supposed to happen today? Yes, I did. And it got postponed by weather. Yeah. It's the launch. And we need to talk about the launch. SpaceX launch. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is really, really big stuff. Uh, some of you probably know Elon Musk. <laughs> we know Maybe him. went to school, some of you guys. <laughs> uh, you guys from South Africa, right? <laughs> Elon Musk was born in South Africa, and he went to school. He was pretty young there. And uh, he liked science. He liked a lot of things. But the school he went to was really tough. And he said he got bullied a lot. He was really picked on a lot. And he says, he's worried that some of our kids aren't going to be tough enough. I thought, well, some of our kids are tough. <laughs> <laughs> they are. But uh, he had a hard time there, but he, he got through it, and he became strong. And eventually, he moved to Canada, where his mother lived, and then he eventually came to the United States to go to school. And, and now he's a, an American citizen. But I think he went to uh, Pennsylvania to school, and there he majored in physics and in economics. And he ended up getting a degree in both physics and economics. And that's really kind of an interesting combination. Physics teaches about the basic uh, factors, elements, pieces, particles of the universe, and economics teach a little bit about business. So as he got down the road and started his career, he started a, a little company which he sold, got just a little bit of money, and then he started a company called X.com. Now, think about it, SpaceX <laughs> and X.com. X.com was way back before SpaceX. In fact, there was no money to start SpaceX when he started X.com. He was just a beginner. But X.com had some ideas that he thought would revolutionize banking. And so he built this thing up, and eventually he merged with a partner, and the company became thing maybe some of you heard about. It. It's called PayPal. Yeah. You ever heard of PayPal? He's, he's the co-founder of PayPal. Interesting thing. And he, uh, I believe, was a real technological contributor to making that possible. And PayPal made it possible to be able to buy things with a credit card without giving them your credit card number. And it used to be that if you go give your credit card number to someone on the internet, they could go out and use your number to buy all kinds of stuff. And I'd like some new shoes and a hat and dinner. And, and But with PayPal, you didn't give them your number. PayPal kept the number, and, and it was a great thing. It was very, very successful. One of the reasons, perhaps, that eBay was so successful because people could safely do transactions on the Internet. So that was a great innovation. But after he left PayPal, he started Tesla. And Tesla was a car that would run on batteries. 
And frankly, when he started it, the technology did not exist to make what I would call a good electric car. And boy, he had to work hard with a lot of other people to develop that technology. And now, boy, there's a million cars a year that are being made. Not all Teslas, but a million electric cars a year. And Tesla's making a lot of them, and some of the nicest ones. And he's been quite successful. And you'd think after PayPal and Tesla, he'd be ready to go into retirement. But that didn't turn out to be the case, did it? Now, I'm not going to tell you about what he did in college because, well, maybe we can say a little bit about it. <laughs> I think you so he and his friend bought a 10-bedroom house. It was a fraternity house, and they turned it into sort of a nightclub while he was a student. And maybe we shouldn't tell him about this part. No, let's delete that part. <laughs> but it's interesting. Very creative guy. And he had ideas, and he did them. And I think every one of these taught him things leading up to his career. But the reason that so many people are talking about Elon Musk this week is because way back, almost 10 years ago, not quite, 10 years ago, the United States retired the space shuttle. You can say, well, how do I know that? Well, Tobias Sott. Mm -hmm. He actually was out doing an Acellus training in California, and it was going down the street to the museum where it was going to rest. It was so big, they had to push the lights up out of the way to try and get it down the street. But uh, after the space shuttle was retired, the United States did not have a way to launch an astronaut into space, into the space station. And so from that point forward, what we've been doing is we've been paying our friends over in Russia, the Russian scientists, to launch our American astronauts up to the space station. Now, it's nice of them to do that for us, and it's nice that we can pay them, but I don't know. For some of us, we kind of think we ought to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of pioneered going to the moon, every landing on the moon, but we kind of got a little bit behind there. Then along comes Elon Musk, this new American citizen, because he, he had to find America. Somebody just got born here, lucky. He had to actually come and find it and become an American. And he says, you know what? We should be making our own spaceships. Now, the, the problem with spaceships is they're really expensive. Really, really expensive. And when you shoot them up, that's it. And if you want to go up again, you make a new one. Very expensive. And he said, well, what if the spaceship, what if these big engines that launch you into space, what if they could go up and then they come back to Earth and land and we could use them again? I mean, it would be a good idea, but how would you ever get them back? Because they're, they're clearing in the outskirts of outer space when they, they burn out. And I brought a model spaceship to show you tonight. <laughs> you sure did. Look here at it is that. right here. If you can imagine this being a spaceship, <laughs> in order to get in these big payloads into space, they make multi-stages. So the bottom stage is the biggest. And when it takes off on the ground, this big fire ignites at the bottom of the engine, and it goes up. And then when all of that fuels burn out of the first stage, it goes off, 
and it breaks off, and the second stage goes on up higher, and then it breaks off, and the third stage takes it where you want to go. Well, that big stage, that first stage, is very expensive. And if we could figure out how to reuse them, it'd be really neat. But they're clear out in space. And Elon, he says, you know what? I think we could recover those. Well, how are you going to recover this giant, giant bottom part of a rocket clear out there like a satellite in space? And he said, we'll fly it home. Really? Yeah. We'll just we'll aim, go over. We'll pick out the place we want to land. We'll land it right there. Well, you probably couldn't have done that very many years ago, but with the telemetry and the computer control equipment there is today, and a lot of hard work and some very clever people, maybe it would be possible. And if it could, maybe we could get a rocket ship for America again. And maybe the rocket ship wouldn't be made by NASA because they're not making them. So maybe we'll just have some company out in California make it, owned by Elon Musk, called SpaceX. YX, remember X.com, right? He owns X. That sounds cool, too. Well, yeah, X.com is cool. <laughs> I'm working on my X project now. You know about, about it, don't that. you? The yeah. X server. But anyway, so... Uh, he started his company, mm -hmm. and today he was scheduled yep. to launch the first U.S. astronauts into space since we retired the shuttle. And it'd be the first time ever that we had astronauts go into space that were launched by a rocket built by a private company and not by the government, not by NASA. It was a pretty big deal. Now, he's doing it for NASA, with NASA. In fact, they're going to launch it on the launch pad where they sent the rockets to the moon and launched the shuttle. But just before it was time to launch, they got bad weather. So they had to scrub the launch, and now we're on hold. <laughs> but we're planning to launch either on Saturday or Sunday of this week. So now you can get all cut up and you can watch it because yeah. it'll be on TV air everywhere when this goes. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a big deal. And to me, it is so exciting. And to think that my little friend, Elon Musk, and I've never met him, <laughs> but I am so proud of him and mm -hmm. what he's doing that yeah. I, I just decided just tonight that he's my friend. Mm -hmm. You can decide that. He could be your friend, too. He is my friend. Okay, there we go. You know I like him. <laughs> I know Paige and she is a friend of Elon Musk. That's right. I decided there That's we awesome. Go. <laughs> but he's doing something really, really remarkable. Now, there's some things about it that I think are really neat. One of the things that's neat, you know, you got to remember, when he was testing out his rocket, and by the way, he calls it the Dragon, the Dragon rocket, when he was testing out, he needed something to shoot up into space, and they didn't want to put any astronauts in it until we tested a little bit. So guess what he launched into space? A Tesla car. Yep. Yep, there it goes. Yep. You're going to do it. Might as well it's do it gone out through space. Mm -hmm. If any of you are in the outer galaxy, you should look it up, because there goes a Tesla. It's the <laughs> first electric car to fly into space. <laughs> Why not? And it's pretty amazing that he could do that. Yes. Well, now we're going to send the first American astronauts up in a SpaceX rocket. And one of the things that tickles me, 
And one of the things that makes me want Elon Musk to be my friend was the space mask that he used. You know, when we started sending uh, spacemen to the moon, we had to figure out how to build an atmosphere around them because out in space there's no air. And so they worked on a spacesuit. Now, I, I don't mind bragging that years ago I was invited by NASA to help compete for the design of the spaceship. I mean, space suit. I didn't you know, know that. In, to run it with a hydrogen oh. fuel cell. And so I put together a proposal, and they didn't choose mine. Otherwise, I could be in space, They're too. Lost. No, They're actually, lost. they went ahead. <laughs> but they did make a space suit, a space suit, and, you know, they have to put a helmet over the head. Mm -hmm. Would you like to remember what that looks like? Because I've got a picture of it if you'd like to see it. Okay, this is the space suit of our American astronauts for so many years. Let's just take a look at it. Can you see it there? There's, there's one of our buddies standing on the moon. And you <laughs> see how he's got that thing over his head, and that's to give him something to breathe, right? Uh -huh. Well, that's pretty neat, and that's how space suits have looked forever. But Elon Musk is sending up a new rocket. Do you think he would make it look like that? That looks like old-fashioned. It does. I'm guessing that Elon Musk would want to make one that looked really neat. Kind of sci-fi. You know, a real high-fashion one. And it, it has other features about it that make it better than the old ones. And it's interesting because this white with black design he also made one of the Tesla cars like that. And the rocket kind of looks <laughs> like it, too. I wish we had a picture. Do we have a picture? Oh, we do. Would you like to see a picture <laughs> of the new one? There oh, it is. Can you see that neat-looking spacesuit? Mm -hmm. That's 2020 stuff right there. I really, really love it. So here we go. Now, I'll just say that... Um, I was thinking how proud I would be tonight if I was the one that had invented that really good-looking space. Can we see that one more time? If I had invented a space helmet like that, I'd be so proud. That's pretty neat. And so, as it turns out, <clears throat> I was thinking maybe, maybe this would work for a space helmet. At least start. What do you think? Would you mind trying this on for us? Not at all. How does it go? No, 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 no. <laughs> Give it back. Give it back. Obviously, this, this wouldn't work. It does go on the back. <laughs> it wouldn't hold the oxygen in. It's got to go all the way around your yeah. head, right, and mm -hmm. hold pressure. But I'm not one to give up very easy, am I? No, I know that. Mm. What have you done? Goals. Here's something for you to experiment with. It's called a balloon. It's a balloon. Yes. And here's something for me. This is pretty <laughs> exciting. So I'm real proud of my new friend, Elon, uh -huh. making such a beautiful, beautiful helmet. And I think, I think it's got a shape kind of like this. See how modern that is? I do. It's okay. even black and white. So this that. is a start, but as you can see, we've still got some work to do on this. And, oh, <laughs> how lucky. I oh happen boy. to have some scissors. Magic scissors. Magic. <laughs> I'm going to show you a trick. You notice how I'm folding it right in uh -huh. half, just like that? Uh -huh. Now, when I cut one half of it, 
what's going to happen to the other half? Be hmm? identical. Hmm? They're both going to get cut together. Isn't this ingenious? Can you see how I'm cutting that? How finely you're doing that. Pulling the lines. Ouch. Careful. Cutting your fingers. Careful. Wait going for really it. quickly. And, and you have to go through both pieces of paper. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So let's, let's do our first test and see how it's coming out. It has a breathing hole. It's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> Now, <clears throat> obviously, one problem with this design is we've got to figure out some way to make it stay on the head. <laughs> it's like Mary Poppins. <laughs> it's like your magic this, bag. Well, you thought I was running out of tricks, too. Uh, I never thought that about this you. This <laughs> is called magic tape, which I think means that it will work in space. Okay. Now, since I hope all the kids are personal safety my is a factor, <laughs> I'm going to use three pieces of magic tape, <laughs> just to be sure. <clears throat> Maybe we should use four. <laughs> you always want to over-design on things like this. Okay. It's ready to try on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Would you like to be the one to try it? I would love to be so the one So you just put your head right in here. And you know then what? You I just might bust pull it. it over here. Please don't bust it. I'm going to bust oh, it. Oh, oh. I really am. I hope she's not big-headed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll tell you what. Let me, let me show you. I've got, I've got other ideas. What does big-headed mean? It means that it doesn't fit. <laughs> oh, okay. But you know, if you get discouraged just when something goes wrong, uh -huh. then you're never going to get to space. That's right. And you know, when the bad weather came in, did they get discouraged at NASA? No, they just postponed. They just got there. Okay, so let me just try this on for that. How is that? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Okay, so Tell me hold this I think, yeah, because that's what's keeping you alive. That's how you're breathing. You know, guys, in all seriousness, okay, that's, that's probably good enough. In all seriousness, every single American, I think, has to stop and be excited about what's happening in our country by one of our real great Americans and a large team of very hardworking, clever people that made this happen. I think it's really exciting to think that you can launch a rocket into space if we could just figure out a way to get that booster when it's done to come back and land safely. You know, they, they've been testing this Dragon rocket. Would you like to see a video of it? Yes. It would be kind of neat. Let's roll the video of the Dragon SpaceX rocket. Can you see the rocket yeah. there? And we have main engine cutoff. Stage separation and stage separation has been confirmed. All right, you see it's separating because the first stage and is done. See, see how it's falling away? Back. The other part's going to go on into space, Use but that big expensive thrusters. part now is falling back to the Earth, except look, and it's being propelled. This one. Can you see how it's flying? Oops, and the boost trying to light. Burn. 
a rocket. Now we're on stage. that engine falling through space. Can you see the Earth behind there? And it is traveling towards the Earth. If we lose this Spaceback burn will last about another 15 we're seconds. We're going to waste a lot of money and really raise the cost we'll use this of this to reorient to space. the stage back to Cape Canaveral. On the left side of the screen, we're looking at it through a, a telescope so we can see it flying towards the Earth. On the right, we're on it, looking down, and we can see the Earth there. Pretty cool. But can this be done? We also had a successful fairing separation of the second stage. Yep, we had a separation of the second stage. There we go. That's good, good. <laughs> So you can see it's still flying there. It's Stage falling down, falling down. And we've entered the entry burn startup. The engine. Oh, now we've we got to fire the, the big the engine to slow it down so it doesn't crash. See, we're looking down in the rocket on the right. On the left, we're looking up at it. And down it's coming. This is trying to get it to slow this down. It's a 25 second burn. It destroys itself. And they've calculated the burn for just the right amount of time 25 seconds to slow it down. Hopefully, just the right amount. Interbird shut down. And, and we have shut down. Coming down, coming The first down. stage. Now we can look down on the ground on the right side there, and the Earth is coming up pretty fast. In about it's 45 seconds, we'll have our landing burn begin. So that in 35 will seconds, we'll do the seconds. landing burn. One more burn of the rockets and then we'll to have slow touchdown it of the vehicle. down, hopefully, so it doesn't crash. Coming down that landing burn is going to take us from going about a thousand kilometers an hour right down to zero. Thousand kilometers of the Earth. an hour. That's pretty fast, still, isn't it? Landing legs will deploy about Stage ten seconds before land landing. If this could work, it would really be amazing, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. And there it comes down. There's the the booster engine that launched that rocket into space. Stage one just passed through transonic regime. And transonic means it's now going less than the speed of sound. So it's going about the landing speed burn of startup. And landing burn has hit startup, and we have ignition. So we're lighting the engine again because we're getting close to the ground to see if we can slow it down. You feel like you're riding on it? Mm -hmm. Look over there, you see coming down below seconds. the clouds, coming down, coming down. Like we're looking, look, there's the landing pod. Touchdown. Down. First right stage has landed back at landing zone one. Another good day for us at SpaceX. A beautiful sight to see. That is the fourth land landing of a Falcon 9 at landing zone one. So there it is, guys. What do you think? It's exciting. Makes you proud to be an American. <laughs> it yeah. makes me proud. I should speak for myself. It makes me proud. When you think what a major technological technological achievement is it just makes you thrilled and it does give us a chance now to do a lot of things now what does he want to do he just wants to launch these astronauts to the space station then he'll retire nope, no <laughs> no I don't think so next he wants be, by having these reusable engines mm -hmm. it really cuts down how much it costs to launch things into space he wants to build a base on the moon. Not just have guys go there and walk around and put a flag. He wants to build a base. Why? Because from there we could launch a mission to Mars. What's he thinking? 
Nothing's impossible. Big. <laughs> yeah, big. <laughs> He's thinking really? big. You, and you think know, big. Yeah. My wish is that a lot of Americans would think big. Yeah. Not everybody's going to start their own astronaut company <laughs> or SpaceX. And by the way, I should point out that we have another amazing entrepreneur that is also creating rockets to put people in space, and that's Bezos of Amazon. I, I think if I have my numbers right, he spent about a billion dollars a year of his own money developing another solution for us. It's exciting that these people are rising up and doing it, and sometimes these companies do it a lot more efficiently than government can, and that's how we can beat us gone. But let's all watch the launch on mm -hmm. Saturday. Uh -huh. And if we get rained out, let's watch it on Sunday because this is a big, big event. Yes. And we just pray that those astronauts will safely land at the space station. I think it's 16 hours after they take off, they're supposed to dock with the International Space Station. So hooray for science. Yes. And study, 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 <laughs> study, study. Because that's how we can accomplish things like this. Thank you, and good night. All right, well, thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.